we don't have Star Wars yet. But you got a hot wing show that's we got on a its hot way. Wing, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you can get does, the Mandalorian in the helmet eating the the hot wing, uh, that, well, that would be the best brand integration, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah, I hope someone from Disney hears this and reaches out to me. <laughs> we we uh, we've been known to get some interesting listeners okay. every now and then. It's uh, small but mighty, is how yeah. I describe our uh, audience. <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Human Element, Kara's podcast on modern marketing. I am so excited to have Jonathan Hunt, who is the EVP of Marketing and Audience Management? Development. Development. Yes. Yeah, see, that part wasn't written down. I develop, so. I don't manage it, really. <laughs> thanks so much for making time. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's jump in. I'm always sort of interested in people's journeys, and your journey is an interesting one. So sort of quickly... How did you get to this particular role? So right now I'm at Complex Networks, which for the unfamiliar is an entertainment mm. company that's made up of a bunch of media brands and IP, some of which you know, some of which you might not know. You might know Hot Ones, which is our video series that takes some of the world's biggest celebrities and humanizes them mm. by asking them questions with progressively hotter and hotter hot wings until they get to the point where they're just melting down and crying <laughs> and snotting all over the place. But also brands like Complex, uh, which is all things pop culture and emerging style. Pigeons and Planes, which is our music discovery platform. First We Feast, which is our food entertainment brand. And... There, I uh, oversee all things marketing audience development, which is made up of marketing strategy, PR, paid media strategy, audience development, uh, and business intelligence. And so before that, I was over at National Geographic, mm. really leading... A uh, slightly different audience. It's a slightly different audience, but the challenge wasn't too dissimilar in that whenever I joined, it was shortly after National Geographic was acquired by 21st Century Fox through a JV that they developed with them. It was also a time whenever they were trying to translate a lot of the reverence that they had developed over the last 130 years into relevance with modern audiences. They had been a print magazine for a long, long time. They had been a TV network for a shorter amount of time, but digital has always been an afterthought. Yeah. And so in order to really engage audiences where they want, when they want, it really took a different way of thinking about content creation, content programming, and content production. So I was there for a couple of years, helping lead that. Before that, I was at Vox Media. Not too dissimilar from Complex or Vice is you know, a media and entertainment network, uh, a collection of media brands and talents. I started there to really lead their marketing and PR efforts. It had really been sort of a thing that they had done without a lot of intention. But oftentimes what we had been seeing is that whenever reporters in the media were talking about digital media organizations that were doing it well, they would often talk about Vice and BuzzFeed, but not necessarily Vox Media. And so my my sort of charge there was to help educate and elevate Vox Media, its brands, its talent, its IP, its products for B2B and B2C audiences and try to insert Vox Media and all of its you know brands and equity into the larger sort of like cultural zeitgeist. Before that, I was at Vice for about seven years, you know, I had moved up from my hometown in Florida with really no job prospects, but really uh, an admiration for Vice, for Shane, Sarouche, and everything that they had developed. And went up there, got an unpaid internship whenever internships were okay to be unpaid, legally speaking. And 
Uh, but I was at Vice for about seven years. Uh, I launched their first global marketing department, leading the marketing around new to world uh, video programming, both for uh, the company and the clients and their production partners. You know, Vice had historically been a magazine. They were starting to invest more and more in original documentarian style video, but really hadn't built out the infrastructure for distributing that to a large audience, especially on digital platforms. Yep. And so that was sort of my task is figuring out, okay, great, we have this beautiful documentary about North Korea. How do we get it out there? <laughs> right. We can't just like plop it on our website <laughs> and just hope that people come. We've got to go to where they are. One tweet. One tweet and, and you're done. It just goes, well, it goes viral, right? This, this marketing's <laughs> easy. That is a, it's an awesome journey. Thank sure. you for sharing yeah. it. I think one of the things that's interesting to me in it is how much you've been a part of the new media culture and sort of the growth of what that has become. Sure. My question, I guess, is what does marketing mean to you? Like, what is marketing for you in those newer organizations? Yeah, I think marketing has just had a lot of different definitions mm. for itself over the years. I, like, I think that could be said about the brand side and the agency mm -hmm. side as well. I mean, marketing, whenever I started, was basically synonymous with social and PR mm. and very little else, maybe email marketing and some light paid media. More and more, especially in the context of complex networks, yes, it's identifying new audiences, building direct relationships with them, and hopefully pushing them further down the funnel to take higher and higher value actions. But it's also the end-to-end -end consumer experience, yeah. right? And making sure that your first interaction with complex in a video, at an event, on a TV show, is as premium as it was the last time you saw it and sticks with you. And so a lot of what I've been focused on as I've been starting out at Complex Networks is really helping redefine and reposition Complex Networks, its brand, its IP, its talent at a larger level. And for an audience, especially a B2B audience that maybe has thought about it as being one thing or another and doesn't really know it for everything else mm -hmm. that it encompasses. Oftentimes, whenever you say Complex Networks, people say, oh, the magazine or oh, sneakers or oh, hip hop. And yes, hip hop is, you know, seven of the top 10 artists at any given time on the billboard charts and sneakers is a multi-billion dollar industry. But for some reason, it's still seen as being niche. It's an interesting observation. It's true. Yeah, I mean, it's very true. But going further behind the scenes of complex networks, you also have a really robust food entertainment brand mm. that's been able to go from video and transcend formats to become more of a lifestyle brand. Hot sauce. Yeah, an eight-figure hot sauce business. <laughs> a forthcoming event uh, yeah. this year. So many different consumer touch points that I think are how media and entertainment organizations are really starting to think about how their brands show up in consumers' lives because like, no longer can it just be a tweet or a Facebook post because yeah. you don't build your brand on the back of Twitter or Facebook it's one part of the strategy, yeah. but it shows up in many, many, many different ways where you're in consumer exists. There's a couple things in that that are interesting. I, I think the first is you have such a broadly horizontal brand, as you've just outlined, right. that has a lot of fairly disparate things in it, right? Like it's a pretty decent haul from a print magazine to sort of sneaker-oriented fetish content or whatever we want to call that <laughs> yeah. uh, to yeah. hot sauce. Yeah. 
how do you keep a sense of the brand in that, right? Because yeah. the tension with the brand is how how yeah, like how much can I stretch it? Tissue between everything. Yeah how, yeah. how much can I stretch it and yet still have it mean something? Yeah, yeah. So this has been something that we've been really drilling down into over the last couple of months. Is really sort of what is the thing that defines every single action that we do in the company, mm. every single brand within complex networks, and. Whenever you go back to its origins 17 years ago as a print publication to where it is today, Complex Networks has been really excellent at identifying and giving a platform to the trends, the people, and the brands that you might really love right now, but will obsess over next. Mm -hmm. And the same can be said about every single one of those brands that you just mentioned. And we do that through a bunch of different consumer touch points, but it's really what defines everything that we do and one of our big missions as an organization. You know, oftentimes, whenever you see an artist like a Kid Cudi, for example, you know, mm. like one of the largest hip-hop artists in the world, arguably, you also don't really have the context that many, 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 many years ago, Complex Networks gave him a cover. Mm. Complex Networks put him on at ComplexCon, which is our festival of cultural convergence that brings... 40,000 to 60,000 young people from all around the world to Long Beach and Chicago every single year to experience what's next in culture. So we had him there. You also don't know that we continue to partner with him today and are producing a feature-length documentary with mm -hmm. him. So there are countless other examples of that where very early on in people's careers, very early on in the development of a trend, very early on in the origins of a consumer brand, we've been there and we've continued to sort of champion them all the way to where they are today. And the same could be said about every single brand that was on the sits within the complex networks portfolio. The ability to stay embedded or at least within reasonably close proximity to culture and to what's next is a real challenge. Yeah. How do you guys do that? So it's not just one single source of you know, inspiration. Just or give us the one yeah, magic yeah, trick. Yeah, the and one then, person. Yeah, could you please? Isn't there one human being that does it? <laughs> yeah, here's her phone number. <laughs> it's a combination of a bunch of different things, right? We listen to the audience. So this year, actually late last year, we launched something called Complex Collective, which is our first party research mm -hmm. and insights product that is made up of tens of thousands of people that have opted into hearing from us, but opted into giving us answers to any question to validate assumptions for ourselves and for the brands that, that we work with. It's not us saying, hey, we'll give you a $100 Amazon gift card if you answer these questions. It's literally people that just care and yeah. want to like have their voices heard. And so whenever we are venturing into a new business line, thinking about a new product idea, uh, thinking about making large investments into a new episodic video series will oftentimes look at audience insights, both third party and primary to inform that. The second source is our editors. You know, they are some of the foremost experts in their different beats of culture, whether it's sports, fashion, style, sneakers, etc. And so they really are one of the best sort of fingers on the pulse for what will be next. And then also our partners and collaborators and artists that we work with on a daily basis, the people that are large now, like the Pharrells of the world uh, to the people that you'll probably hear about in a year or two from now. But really, you have that sort of vision into what is emerging that we should be paying attention to that Complex Networks then gets behind. How do you take that sort of data platform and 
make it insight, add the human sort of uniqueness or the human observation that takes a data point and turns it into something that's truly compelling and, and differentiating? I go back to complex collective uh, in that what we aren't is we aren't data-driven, mm. right? I, you know, I think data-driven often implies that data writes the content, yeah. produces the video, writes the communications for you, but we are data-informed. And a lot of that is being informed by, yes, third-party analytics from third-party platforms, but also Complex Collective and our editors uh, and our sort of you know, trusted consortium of you know, collaborators and partners and artists. So we use that oftentimes as a jumping-off point, a source of validation, to help inspire new ways of thinking, new creative concepts, what talent we should be booking for different series, you know, new themes for shows. So for example, you know, within First We Feast, our food entertainment brand, we have something called Hot Ones, which I mentioned a little earlier. But what we've been seeing in the data is that audiences that have been coming to First We Feast have been coming on a categorical level, right? So they came for Hot Ones because of their passion for not just the talent, but hot wings and hot sauce. We then said, okay, well, everybody loves burgers, right? Unless you're a vegetarian <laughs> or a vegan. And so we said, okay, well, there's probably a huge demand for that. Mm. So we created something called Burger Show, which has been sort of following the same meteoric trajectory as Hot Ones. And now we have something called Tacos Con Todo, which is, as the name implies, tacos. So we're continuing that path. And that was an insight that was gleaned off of the success of Hot Ones that we're now applying to and new video franchises across First We Feast and other brands within complex networks as well. Do you have a structure by which that, for lack of a better word, product development process takes place? I mean, how much of it is organic and how much of it is through a process that you can replicate? There's not necessarily a formalized structure or process for the origination of something like ComplexCon, for yeah. example, or Hot Ones, for example. Oftentimes, it does start with a creative insight. Right, yeah. whether that creative insight is coming from our creative team or our editorial team mm -hmm. or even our BI team, where we're either seeing something in the data or we're seeing something in the industry or we're hearing something from our audience or from you know trusted partners and collaborators that say, okay, maybe this is something that is worth actually exploring further. And that's sort of how ComplexCon came to be about. That's how Hot Ones came to mm -hmm. be about. You know, funny enough, Hot Ones came uh, as the result of just a whim, you know, uh, like a really interesting idea that our GM, uh, Chris, had that spawned into what is today, you know, a 10-season digital video series that is now going to be a TV series and the star of a forthcoming event. And so we're seeing a lot of these incubatory ideas that start off as a specific thing mm -hmm. that then have IP universes built around them that aren't just digital video. And yep. that's sort of the business model that is most interesting to us that we oftentimes try to replicate. And you're trying to do that work in conjunction with brands too, yes? Yeah, I mean, especially brands. Because oftentimes, you know, events like ComplexCon, we can do it ourselves, but you can always do things bigger and better whenever you have other partners involved and other sort of creative sure. collaborators through brands. That's such a great example of how brands do come to life within the world of complex networks. We do that on a bunch of different levels, both digitally and experientially, and in the best case scenarios, holistically across a bunch of different mediums and platforms. How much do you all look at yourself and say, part of the business that we're in is transformation and reinvention? I mean, that, that question was the reason why we launched another product late last year at our first upfront called Climate. 
Complex Climate, which is our in-house consultancy and product development and storytelling mm-hmm. division that does just that. Works with brands to identify a need, a challenge, a specific insight to do the qual around it, to use then that to build out unique new to world products mm-hmm. that can be everything from a feature length film to an event to a FMCG product that exists on shelves at stores. We've done all of that. And so the fact that we've been able to do all of that has made us say, okay, well, maybe we should build a business out of it. And so because we're seeing a lot more demand in that space, we decided to actually do something about that and turn that into a new business line. The central question of business at the moment is transformation and reinvention and how you're going to handle it. Sure. And how you do some of it in a creative way, an organic way, and do some of it in a replicatable way. And whether that means you have to get into, you know, elements of design thinking or agile, whatever the methodology is or change your ways of working or what have you, that is the business of all business. Absolutely. And so I think it's a really fascinating thing for you guys to kind of get into it because it's such a part of the way your culture works to build your own brand. Obviously the same is said about consumer brands and agencies, but, you know, media organizations are going through that same process right now as well. You know, along are the days of media organizations just creating 30-second text-on-screen videos that get distributed through Facebook and trying to build a brand that way because you can't. And now a lot of us are really trying to identify new ways of just cutting through that attention economy and reaching people in the various different digital and non-digital areas that they exist. And so that's why Whenever we talk about complex networks, we don't say, oh, we're a media brand or a media company. I mean, we say we're an entertainment company yeah. because you see very distinct and identifiable parallels between complex networks and a company like Disney, for example. Yep. You know, Disney has theme parks. We have events. Mm-hmm. Disney has feature-length films and TV. We have documentaries and films and TV. They have digital. We have digital. When you think about your audience, how do you most quickly describe who they are spiritually? Well, when you define the complex networks audience, there's a couple of things I think to think about. One is that unlike a lot of the traditional marketing tropes of young people only investing in in buying experiences and not commodities or products, like I kind of call BS on that, Mm. to be honest. What we're seeing more and more is that our audiences, young people especially, are spending more and more money on the brands that sort of best reflect their own values, their own personality. I mean, if you look at everyone at ComplexCon, they're wearing like these Nike Sakai's that I'm wearing right now. If you go to the floor at CES, you'll see a lot of folks wearing some pretty expensive shoes as well. You know, they are spending... the shop tab, by the way. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) which is now our new e-com destination, which we launched pretty recently as well. Because I'll just say that they are spending a lot of money on apparel, on products, not just experiences. So that's one thing I think that can be universally said about a lot of young people today. The second is that they are sort of embracing this multi-hyphenation of who they are. Mm. You know, they're not just a certain race. They're not male. They're not female. They're not a certain gender. They're not a certain political affiliation. They really are starting to cherry pick all these different qualities and attributes and labels to sort of self-identify themselves. And it really reflects a lot of the, you know, emerging talent artists and heroes of today. Like you think of other multi-hyphenates like 
Billie Eilish or Russell Westbrook, mm. who, you know, famous sports athlete that transcended that into fashion. You think of ASAP Rocky, uh, like all these people that really reflect uh, this sort of multi-hyphenate way of living and way of self-identification. And that can also be said about young people, especially Gen Z. That I think best describes our audience. And I think the third thing is that they're just rabid, rabid fans and consumers. And not just consumers, but also entrepreneurs. And really interesting insight that we saw both in data on Instagram, but also post-survey data from ComplexCon is that these young people would come, you know, they would save and save and save and come here and spend money, not just because they're consumers, but because they're entrepreneurs. They would then take that, resell it for 4X, what they bought it for on the secondary market, through their own personal Instagram accounts, because that to them is their own businesses and they're taking cues from other people that have done the same to sort of do it themselves, right? And so I think that is also pretty unique about this particular audience. And again, I think the same could be said uh, about a lot of young people and how they're sort of looking at their future careers today. That's right. It's one of the interesting things about the younger generation I think we have to sort out as marketers is leveraging the opportunity of the data that we have to know them with the ability to not be so labeled in how we describe them. Yeah, no, I think that's very, very right. And obviously it makes our jobs as marketers a lot more difficult because, you know, we just don't have like a Facebook segment or a Comscore (laughs) uh, filter to be able to market them with. It takes a lot of different levers and tactics and communications that are extremely personalized and hyper-targeted and retargeted to be able to have the same effect that we could have had whenever it was just like four channels on a TV box or a truck delivering newspapers. That's why this job never gets old. That's why I love it. Yeah. Obviously, we live in the most uh, complicated uh, political environment of my lifetime. Sure. How important is this political moment to your brand? It's very important. I think there's a duty for it to be important to every media brand. If you're not thinking about it, if you're not thinking of what your 2020 rock the vote strategy is, (laughs) or unless you lean a certain way, what your 2020 vote for this person strategy is, then you're probably not doing your jobs. Mm. Like a lot of other entertainment media brands as well. We are actively building that strategy, executing Mm. that strategy, finding opportunities to encourage audiences to uh, at least register to vote. Similar to my answer to the last question, these aren't audiences that are just Democrats or Republicans. They're starting to cherry pick different aspects that they like from both, right? It's making it more and more difficult, I think, for not just Republicans and Democrats, but also media organizations to be able to uh, to speak to them um, in the way that maybe historically they have. Agreed. I I think, you know, the thing you see in the numbers is younger generations, independent voting populations have increased non-party affiliations. And that is because the dogma of both parties, in whatever regard, hopefully it'll irritate people on both sides of the aisle, you know, becomes a litmus test that people don't want to be a part of, right? So if you are, you know, someone who is, you know, a younger kid who lives in Tennessee or Oklahoma and the Second Amendment is something that's incredibly important to you, but you are also somebody who believes passionately in a woman's right to choose, there's no party for you. And that's the tricky thing too, because, you know, we did this primary survey and trend report recently uh, with a company called PSFK, 
where sure. in addition to asking how young people are self-identifying, what they love, don't love, want more of from editorial brands and consumer brands uh, and what they don't want more of. And the thing that rose the top amongst a lot of that data is that what they don't want is this sort of both siderism. You know, yeah. like they have a voice, pick some side, have a point of view, and don't try to be safe because they turn off. You know, and so I think that's something that we've taken to heart. And I think you're starting to see a lot of other media brands maybe edge a certain way as opposed to sitting down the middle like they sure. have historically. Yeah, and it, certainly you see that in brands themselves. For right? sure. Not in, in, I mean, I think that's one of the single most interesting things that's happened in marketing in the past three or four years. Absolutely. Is brands have, for a variety of reasons, awoken to the reality that not making a decision on which side of a fence to be on is actually a decision and has consequences. Absolutely. And so, you know, the old conventional wisdom was if you don't make a decision, then you can't get hurt. Yeah. You can get hurt not making a decision. From a brand perspective, Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's do two more. Okay. Maybe three. And then we'll jump into the lightning round. Sure. Okay. What excites you most about 2020? There is this sort of emerging resurgence in care for the brand and consumer experience, mm. especially among media and entertainment brands. Whereas in the past, it's all been about scale and quality and those like horrible buzzwords were sort of the priority and you chose one lane or the other, but you couldn't have both. both. And I think some companies like Fox and Complex Networks and you know Vice have maybe proven that that's not necessarily true. Mm. What oftentimes got sort of pushed aside was this care and stewardship for the brand that no matter where you experience the brand, it was always showing up in the best and most premium possible way and that it had its own unique voice. You know, brands aren't necessarily, especially media brands, aren't necessarily just the content that you read or view. It's the point of view. And I think that sort of got lost somewhere at some point and the reason was people were just trying to get scale at yeah. like any and all costs, you know, license content, package it up, put it on Facebook, spend 50 bucks doing it and get like some sort of negligible revenue out of it. And they were all chasing the sort of like, you know, the dragon to get that and at the cost of their own brand. And now what you see is a lot of media entertainment brands that just don't really stand for a lot at yeah. all. Yeah. I'm not going to name names, even though I would like to, but <laughs> You know the ones. Well, that, a bunch of them aren't around. A bunch of them aren't, and a lot of them are having some uh, some hard times Material right now. Problems, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know the ones that continue to just prioritize brand and consumer experience above all else. Again, like I'll call out Disney, like fantastic example of an entertainment brand that just always prioritizes the best possible IP experience yep. across any different channel, and that's something that we like to think that we do as well. And I think you're starting to see a lot more prioritization around. One of the things, and you've referenced this a couple of times in different ways throughout our discussion, is the big digital platforms and how critical they were in the advent of new media mm. and how problematic they are in terms of the, in some cases, the sustainability of new media. Sure. Where do you think we are in that tension? You're right. There was a period in time where people over relied on a certain platform and some were overly cautious and are still playing catch up to this date. Mm. I think 
News Corp and 21st Century Fox are a great example of two sibling organizations that maybe were a little too cautious. And Mm. then you have media organizations that are no longer with us that probably over-relied too much on one single platform. And I think where we are now is that a lot of organizations like us, Fox Media, for example, like Nat Geo, uh, a bunch of sort of, you know, the larger media organizations are taking more of a partnership approach to how we work with platforms rather Mm -hmm. than sort of jumping at the first thing that gets tossed to us, like a new alpha product. We'll sort of do the due diligence internally, put a strategy against it, make sure that it's not competing with other maybe more important and sort of meaningful initiatives that are happening internally. And then we'll work with that platform to ensure that whatever we do with that new product or that platform is done with the best strategy and intention in mind. And we continue to take that approach with every single platform. I think also a lot of organizations are just trying to diversify away from over-reliance on just Facebook or Google. I mean, Facebook and Google are fantastic partners for us, as is Instagram, which is obviously part of Facebook. But you know, we are exploring more around, let's reprioritize email. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's go towards the Apple Newses of the world mm-hmm. and the MSN and Yahoo's of the world and the smart newses of the world, the news aggregators, and using those as other ways of identifying and cultivating new audiences where maybe we've maybe haven't really prioritized in the past. Again, a lot of organizations are trying to take that approach where even if it generates one percent of your traffic or one percent of your social revenue. 10 of those different partnerships starts to make up a pretty significant yep. uh, you know, amount of traffic and social yep. revenue. And it's amazing that email is the most unkillable thing in the world. I mean, I love it. I mean, that and SEO, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. The building blocks are the building blocks for a reason. And, uh, you know, 100%. we consistently say things like, oh, you know, it's like my favorite thing is we're on what, year 20 of email is dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet every single new media organization, every single brand, what are they doing a ton of? Email. Yeah, and then you look at companies like The Skim that are building their businesses off of email and yeah. then selling it. You it's know, great. so it's just funny. Yeah, it's a great example. As somebody who used to work for an ESP, it makes me laugh. Yeah. All right, you've made it to the lightning round. You've successfully gotten here. So, lightning round is short answers to short questions in theory, although we always go on and on. Best piece of content recently consumed, not your own, can be anything: podcast, book, Netflix series, movie, anything. Okay, I really love the concept art that came out today from James Cameron's forthcoming Avatar 2. I don't oh know boy. if you've seen it. I, I, you are to say way ahead is an understatement. I mean, that's what Complex Networks does. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, check out Twitter. I think it's on there probably. But it's this beautiful sort of like convergence of sort of like oceanic themes and space themes. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, it's been a long time in the making, but I'm pretty excited for it. All-time favorite band or the most seminal album or artist of your teenage years? I would say Deftones Around the Fur. Okay. Was pretty good. All right. It's definitely something that I think I had on repeat quite a bit. Got it. Associated with that time. Best career advice either given or received? Whenever I first started at Vice, my boss was Shane. Whenever I was at Vox, it was Jim. And they are two very different people. And they're both brilliant CEOs, but they have two different styles uh, of leadership and management and doing deals. You know, and so I, I like to think that a lot of my own style and approach is sort of this convergence of both of their styles and approach. And that what I learned from, you know, from Shane is how to 
pitch and how to be persistent mm. and how to really do whatever it takes to reach the audience you're going after, to build a product you're trying to build, like that determination. What I learned from Jim was a lot more about intentionality and maybe being a bit more methodical about how you approach it. Instead of like rushing into it based on a creative whim, being a lot more strategic about how you use data to then inform that idea and make it even stronger. And then again, data and audience insights to build out a go-to-market strategy so that that idea doesn't just get plopped on a web page somewhere, but can be seen by as many people as possible. And I think my own approach to marketing and communications has been sort of this like weird amalgamation of both of those. I love that. Yeah. That's a great answer. Favorite CES experience this far, although you just got here at 3.30 in the morning. I just so got here, tough. but I got to tell you, Michael Epstein's uh, suite Pretty cool, pretty cool experience. Uh, I hope to be invited back sometime. That, that is the single best answer we've ever had. Least favorite tech and media jargon. Can I do three? We got plenty of time. Okay. Go ahead. Scale and quality, because I just don't <laughs> think they mean anything anymore. And then culture, like the word culture, mm. which means everything and nothing at all. So much so that as we were going through this new brand strategy within complex networks, you know, we put this very strict rule in place that like, okay, unless it absolutely is required and important, like we're not going to use the word culture. Okay. Because culture just doesn't mean anything anymore. Mm. Like culture is everything. Right. And so saying that you are a youth culture brand, like, yeah, you are, but so is a lot of other brands sure. out there. And so like that word to me, especially over the last couple of years, as it's begun to just take on so many different meetings yeah. has become a lot more just innocuous. Yeah. So you've survived the lightning round. Congratulations. Thank you. I can't thank you enough. You've been fantastic. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Well, that wraps up another human element. Thanks so much for listening to us. Remember, you can find us anywhere you find your pods. And don't hesitate to subscribe. Give us a like or, I don't know, a comment or tell your neighbor. A share. Yeah, a share. You like that? Tell your neighbor while you're getting in the car in the morning. Yeah. We've got a lot of driving people. I'm one of those. I too. just made that up. <laughs> Listen, thanks so much. We'll be out to you real soon. Bye-bye.